Good morning, Mission View. We're going to be looking at Proverbs 22 in a little bit. Proverbs 22, 17. Um, so we'll start in verse 17. Um, I'll explain a little bit in, in a little while what we're going to be doing for the last three weeks of our study in Proverbs. But I want to tell you a little story of something that happened to a group of us when we were in Turkey last week. Uh, there was a man named Abraham, and Abraham was born deaf and he was born mute. And so he was born not only in this condition, but he was also born in a harsh environment of Islam. Now we sat down with him along with four other deaf people in his community that were living in his house, and we were listening to their stories. Now Abraham grew up, Abraham grew up searching for love and searching for acceptance in, in this very harsh world. Now, what you need to do is imagine what it's like to be born without the ability to hear at all, to not even know what sound is all about. By, by the way, Abraham is the one right in the middle with the big smile saying, I love you. Uh, imagine what that's like, and then try to set yourself in a world of Islam. The world of Islam basically says that you cannot actually talk to God because God is a transcendent God who cannot be approached. See, in Islamic doctrine, we know that people pray five times a day, but what they're really doing is they're, they're quoting or reciting verses that come from the Quran in a language that they can't even understand. And so it is words that they speak and if in true Islamic doctrine, you look at their, their doctrine, they will say you can't approach God because God is transcendent. He is unapproachable. And so it's in this culture in which Abraham and his deaf community are trying to exist. In this culture, you need to know that a woman, for according to Islamic doctrine, it takes two women to equal one man. And the disabled are looked upon, down upon as well in that, in that culture and within that belief system. And so we have Abraham and his, and his friends that are born into this culture. Abraham started to share with us as a group how he was looking for significance in relationships. First with his family, then with his friends, then in female relationships. And he said that he'd even gone down the path of exploring homosexuality. And yet at every front, he was received with rejection and harsh treatment. Now he wanted to know God, but he also believed that God was rejecting him as well. Now in the midst of his pursuit, Abraham ended up having a dream about Jesus. By the way, many, many of the testimonies that we heard in Turkey were of people that had never heard about Jesus had dreams first of Jesus. And he had a dream about Jesus. And as he awakened from his dream, he wondered who this Jesus was, what town he lived in, what village was he from, and would this individual love him? All these questions were swirling about in his mind. One day, a friend of his who went to Antalya Evangelical Church, which is the only church in the city of two million people. Now, let that sink in. 
within a five-mile radius, there's probably around 175 churches in our area. But within a five-mile five mile radius, there's two million people with one evangelical Turkish church. And he was invited to go to that church. As he went to this church, this was the first time he wasn't discarded as a piece of trash. In fact, he was actually strangely and warmly loved. It was strange to him because he didn't expect it. He just thought he would get the same as he's always gotten before. But when he was there, he was met with love. The community of believers surrounded them. Even though they couldn't communicate, they at least loved them. And he went, that's what drove him to go back week after week after week. Though he could not understand the hearing world, he could understand everything about the love that he was receiving in that community. Well, Pastor Ramazan met him. Pastor Ramazan was on our stage a couple, uh, couple weeks ago earlier in June. And he is the pastor of this church that's doing this work. And Pastor Ramazan and his leaders are, are making introduction, and they're trying to write down on tablet, uh, on, on uh, uh, introduction to Abraham. Abraham's telling this story, and they're struggling through this to communicate with one another because nobody knew sign language in the church. And so they started praying for Abraham, and they started praying that they would be able to get through with the good news of the gospel somehow and started praying for Abraham's salvation because he was a Muslim. And so all of a sudden, one Sunday, they were struggling through this, and a, a lady who had been invited, who was also Muslim, came up and said, I, I see that you're struggling with communication. It just so happens that I am a professional interpreter for the deaf. She says, can I help you out? And they're like, yes, yes, of course you can. And so they began to communicate to Abraham the gospel, which ended up melting not only his heart, but the translator's heart. And they both came to faith in Christ. Soon after that, one of the elders, his name is Archon, Archon started to learn sign language himself so that he could begin to disciple the, the, uh, Abraham and the interpreter. And soon, Abraham and the interpreter reached out to the entire deaf community, and now there's over 12 deaf people that are in the church that want to be a part of the public, their, their corporate worship time, because they love the love that they, and acceptance that they have received. What's interesting about this is Abraham shared this with joy in his eyes. Uh, Craig and Kitty were there. We were watching and seeing all that was going on. We just were amazed at this, amazed at the story and amazed also at what Abraham shared. He said once he gave his life to Christ, he had another dream. And in this dream, he heard for the very first time the only audible sound that he has ever heard in his life because he's deaf. And the only audible sound was one word. It was Baba. Baba. And he wanted to find out what, what, that, what, what that really meant. And what he found out is that it was the word for father in Turkish. Baba. Baba. God had spoken 
to his heart. And today, this is the only word that he can speak. Friends, I share this story because I wanted to give you a window into the trip that we had. There were story after story of changed life, and our goal was to go over and to encourage the body of Christ because they need that encouragement. Imagine being the only church, their church is about our size, but being the only church in the city. You feel alone. You feel isolated. You feel oppressed. And what we were able to do is to come along and to encourage. But I will say that I think we walked away probably more encouraged. And it was such an awesome time. And I appreciate the fact that you guys prayed for us. But I also want you to know that this illustrates the transforming power of love and the gospel. And it reminds us of what we are to be all about. We are to be about that kind of love. We are to be about that kind of love being shown so that people can know the truth of the gospel. We stayed with that group of men, and we stayed late, late into the evening. And just as we thought we were finishing up, they'd be like, no way, hey, we got some struggles that we need you to talk about. And then they brought out the Bible, and we got our Bibles out, and we started sharing Scripture passages. And they began to explain, before, our opposition was always the people around us, the flesh and blood that we could see. But now, all of a sudden, now that we're believers, there's a new strange thing that's happening. We're feeling an opposition from a, something that we can't see. And they explained that there's times that they felt like there's dark shadows in their life and that there is a very vibrant opposition to them. And we started talking about spiritual warfare. And they started, they looked at us as if their very life depended upon it and said, please give us God's word. Help us to hear what God has to say about this spiritual warfare. And please pray for us. Please. It was the first time I've ever been in a situation where I felt like somebody was asking for prayer that their very life and existence depended upon it. And it made me think about passionate prayer. It's one of the reasons why I wanted Kim and Lance to pray today. I want to re-up that value of us passionately seeking God with all of our heart and needing him. We're going to have several prayer times this year where we're going to call the body together just to pray to seek God's face because we need to be a people that pray. So we gathered around them, and it was a prayer meeting like I hadn't experienced for quite some time. Friends, what is it that can take a person from desperation, from rejection, to peace and fulfillment? How is it that the lost are found? How is it possible that God could take someone who was just a brand new baby Christian in Abraham and use him to reach out to 11 other deaf people? Who speaks to people in dreams and gives them the only word that they've ever known or actually even matters? Baba. My friends, it's God. And God is still in the business of doing that. He is still in the business of opening up ears so that we can hear. He's still in the business of helping us understand and gain understanding that is his understanding and his heart. And that's my prayer for today in our message. 
that as we look at God's word, that we just not go through the motions and open God's word, but that we would look at God's word and say, this is our very, uh, uh, the essence of our existence comes from this, and that we need to draw truth from what God has to say to us. For the last three weeks in the book of Proverbs, this is what we're going to be doing. We're focusing on Proverbs 22, 17 through chapter 24, 22. Now, what is in this, these verses, and you write that down because you might want to read in advance so that you can uh, study it for yourself. Proverbs 22, 17 through Proverbs 24, 22. But what we have here is 30 wise sayings that Solomon gives us. Now, it seems that it is a collection of sayings from the council of people that were around Solomon. And I would imagine Solomon being the wisest of wise was a contributor to some of these sayings. Now, they are an eclectic type of group of sayings. You might talk about money, one, one saying, and family in another saying. But what he wants us to understand is these are profound sayings that will have an impact in our life. And what's interesting is that every one of these things have a common denominator in that God wants to move us to a place of influence. He wants to move us to a place of influence. Take a look at what he says in introducing the idea of these, of these sayings. Look in verse 17. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge. For, if, for it will be pleasant if you keep them within you. He's encouraging memorization. If all of them are ready on your lips, that your trust may be in the Lord. This is what he wants us to do through these sayings. I have made them known to you today, even to you. Have I not written for you 30 sayings of counsel and knowledge? Why? To make you know what is right and true, that you may give a true answer to those who sent you. Here's three things that Solomon wants to accomplish through these wise sayings. Number one, he wants us to listen. He wants us to listen and apply truth to our hearts. Now, i got to tell you, we live in a society where it's difficult for us to listen because we have so many voices around us, and plus we also have short attention spans. I think this is why TV does like eight-minute clips of their show and go to a commercial because they know that we're kind of ADD in that way. But what God wants is for us to listen and hunger for truth. And when we do, I believe that time becomes irrelevant because our hunger is for God. The second thing he wants is for us to memorize these truths so that we can recall them. Now, he is stating this to a society that didn't have a printing press. He wanted them to know these things so they could pass it on to their children. Now, we get a little bit more lazy because we have everything in print, but I do believe that memorizing is still an art that helps us have a greater intimacy with God. Psalms 119 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to thy word. Thy word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against God. God says, treasure it here. Some of us have said, I, I can never memorize. I can't do it. I'm not capable. No, there's no idiots here. We're all capable. We have minds. God has put it within us, the ability. 
The third thing he wants, and this is the kicker, he wants us to trust him. He says, I want you to trust God. And I want you to be able to live out what is right and true so that you can give an answer to the world around you. Do you know that's another way of saying our mission statement? Intimacy. Trust God. Live it out so that we know how to live out truth with the people that are around us, community, so that we can give an answer to the world around us. That's influence. That's what God wants of each of us. So let's apply that as we look at these 30 wise sayings. So I know some of you are fearful right now because you think 30 and you only got about 25 minutes left, Steve. So how's that possible? Well, we're going to take 10 a week. And some of you are still scratching your head thinking, 10? Is it possible that Pastor Steve can get through 10? Yes, we can. And we will do in a speedily fashion. And I will, I will have you out on time or I take you all out for lunch on my dime. Okay? So we got to get going. <laughs> Truth number one is in verses 22. And it's really simple. Don't rob the poor. Take a look at what he says. Don't rob the poor because he is poor or crush the afflicted at the gate. I'll tell what at the gate means in a minute. For the Lord will plead their cause and rob of life those who rob them. Now notice the heart of God. God starts in all the wise sayings. Where does he start? He starts with the poor and the afflicted. Please understand that the song that we just sang and the song that we're going to end with it reflects the heart of God for the poor and the afflicted, and he wants us to have that same kind of heart. Now, we don't have time to study how much God has a heart for it, but I would encourage you to study Isaiah 58 on your own this week in your quiet times. Isaiah 58 is a rich study about the heart of God for the poor. God knows that the poor and afflicted are easy targets for those in power. Now, the phrase, Crush the afflicted at the gate is indicating the place where a verdict was given in that culture. In other words, it was the court. The rich were dragging in those that had very little to get what they could from them into the court system. And possibly they had the court system paid off. I don't know. Or they just had the money to take them there and to apprehend what they had. And God says, I will stand up for them. I will plead their case. In fact, those who rob the poor will be robbed themselves by me. Now, we're told in Hebrews chapter uh, 12, verse 9, uh, 29, that we have a God who is a consuming fire. So I don't want to fall under God, God's judgment in regards to this. But what I think what we can do as a church is realize the heart of God and what he wants for those who are believers and followers of God, the followers of Christ. What God wants is for the church to be sensitive and discerning to the needs of the poor and the afflicted. My friends, that's why from day one we have been praying for and supporting Refuge of Hope, which is a, a homeless ministry downtown Canton. That's why we want to be a part of ICU. That's why we want to be part of the pregnancy solutions and service type of ministries. We want to come alongside of them. That's why we do hammer and nails. That's why we help people that are in need once we've evaluated those needs. Because this is what God wants of us. 
And I want to encourage you as when you get into your community groups, which you'll be able to start signing up a, a week from now, but when you get into your community groups, think about how you can help in this way. Truth number two is simple. Stay away from a hot-tempered man. Take a look at verse 24. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Now, quick anger people, we know who those people are. We know that they have a short fuse. And what we need to realize is that quick-tempered people will cause destruction to the people that are around them. And what he is saying is, don't risk being infected by them. Notice what he says in verse 25, don't be entangled. In other places in Proverbs, it says that we become entangled in their foolishness or entangled in their divisiveness or just plain and simple entangled in their sins. Now, here's the problem. Sometimes we marry a hot-tempered man or a hot-tempered woman. Sometimes we're born into a family with a hot-tempered person. So, Steve, what do we do? Well, let me first address the hot-tempered person. Deal with it. There is an emotional issue deep within you, and it's not right. Deal with the temper. But secondly, advise, set up boundaries for your life because you need to keep a certain distance, and this is what this passage is telling you to protect yourself. Truth number three, don't assume responsibility for another man's debt. Take a look at verse 26. Be not one of those guys or one of those who give pledges who put up security for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should your bed be taken from under you? Now this truth is just as applicable today as it was 3,000 years ago. It is tempting for any of us to come alongside of a child, a friend, a family member, and to co-sign a loan for them. But Solomon says not only here, but many times in the book of Proverbs, this is not wise. And in the end, you might have your very own bed taken from you because the collector's going to come and take everything you have to get their debt. I don't know if you know anything about student loans, uh, the government doesn't forgive those. Nobody forgives those. It will be collected no matter what. Now, I know some parents are here saying, oh, my goodness, I've, I've already signed a, a co-signed a loan for my kids. Well, parents, this is what I would say. Only do it if you're able to pay it and know that you will be a slave to the lender. Truth number four, verse 28. Don't change God's boundaries. Take a look at, do not move the ancient landmark that your father have set. Now, this saying at first glance, uh, I think some of us would say, well, this isn't very applicable to us. I don't even know what the boundary stone is all about. What are you talking about? Well, in that day and age, their lands were marked off by a boundary stone. And what he is saying is don't move a boundary stone. What people would do would go and move the boundary stone, in essence, stealing somebody else's land to increase their profit. And God says, no, 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 you don't move a boundary stone. 
another, on a greater scale, God had given Israel, the chosen nation, their land. And other nations have been trying to move the boundary stone and take that land. And God says, no, no, I don't want you to do that. Here's what he says in Deuteronomy 27 to the person who will do that. He says, cursed is anyone who does this. Now, here's the issue at hand. It is an affront on God himself to move the boundaries that God has established. In that day and age, he gave a boundary stone to mark out land. But in today's day and age, he has given us a different boundary stone to mark out how we should live as people. We're told in Isaiah 28 that Christ is the cornerstone. He is the plumb line of righteousness and justice for our life. And we're told in John 1 that the Word became flesh and Christ is the Word. And so this is the rock, this is the boundary stone in our life. And in application, what I look at in the church today and in the culture that is swarming around the church, we are seeing the temptation for people to mess with God's boundary stone and twist it to say what they want. Our society will say a loving God wants you to define marriage however you want. Our society will say truth is what you want it to be. Our society says that God created you to be a transgender, homosexual, lesbian, whatever. The society says a loving God will not send anyone to hell. Friends, our job as a body of Christ, as believers and followers of Christ, is to make sure that we are getting our belief system from God's boundary stone of his word. And if we find in our life that we have moved away from it, we need to adjust ourselves, not try to adjust God's word. I've counseled with people that are having premarital sex, and they think that God is a God of love, and they say, no, 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 God wants me to be happy. I show them God's verse, and they say, I disagree with you, Steve. I said, I didn't say anything. Right here. This, I'm not telling you my ideas. Your beef is with God. I know you don't like it because it doesn't meet or fit within what you desire. But it doesn't matter what you desire. It matters what God desires. It's a matter of submission. We as a church, we as individuals must abide by the boundary stone of what God is telling us to do. We move on. Truth number five. Verse 29. Skillful work will be rewarded. Take a look at verse 29. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. See, this passage, this verse is an encouragement to those of you that want, and I believe it's probably all, I hope it's all, that want to work with integrity and want to work in a hard, ethical way that you're not cutting corners, you're not approaching your work in a half-hearted way, but rather you are trying to push to get the job done sooner than later and do it with the skill of your craft. A few weeks ago, Pastor Brian talked about the downfall of the lazy person. But here what we're seeing is just the opposite, is the uprising of the person who works with integrity. Church, please understand this. 
what this person, is, what he's saying is that he is going to rise before kings. What's he saying there? He's saying he is going to rise in his leadership. But then he says also he will not stand before obscure men. He's not going to be stuck back in the mailroom somewhere. Church, understand this. Whether you drive a truck, whether you work with the disabled, whether you dig ditches for, for a living, whether you clean floors or whether you cut in people, into people to do operations, we are to do it all for the glory of God and to demonstrate the craft that God has given us. And when we do that, we will be in stark contrast with the world around us that has a very different mindset. Many people that are just doing their time. They're just getting away with the minimal amount of work that they can get away with. They're just going with the flow with the other workers. Or some of them even have a bad attitude of, I'm going to stick it to the man. My friends, you want to talk about influence? When we are a people that work our craft with integrity, God says, you will rise up and you will be noticed. And it is so true in the workplace. Truth number six, self-control brings respect. Take a look at verses one to three. One to three says this, when you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you are given to appetite. He's not condoning suicide. He is saying, stop eating, know when to quit, self-control. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive foods. Now, once again, at first glance, we would look at this and say, well, not too many of us are going to eat before kings, so this doesn't apply to us today. But look at the king as a person of influence. Every one of us at times is going to be before a person of influence. And maybe it's in a job interview and you're in that job interview and they take you out to a nice meal and put a spread before you. What he is saying is, don't get so focused on the food. You're like, oh yeah, this is really good. Get past the rules over here. Uh, where we get the focus off the wrong things and allow people to see that there's a lack of self-control, but allow it to be the person that you're talking to. Allow them to see the character that you have. Years ago, when I was at Maranatha Bible Church, we were interviewing a CE pastor. And we had all but assigned the dotted line with a guy from Grand Rapids. Now, we had had phone interviews with them. We had him come and visit with us. He interviewed in an incredible way. But what we didn't see is much of his personal life. And it just so happens that I was in Grand Rapids at around the time that we were about to sign the dotted line with this individual. And I called him up and I said, hey, I'm in the neighborhood. Can I take you out for coffee? Sure, come over to my office. I went over to his office, and he had to kind of pull the door uh, and get some of the stuff out of the way. There was piles here, and there was piles here, and there was candy wrappers all over the place, and there were, he was just a piler. And I, he wasn't packing because it wasn't time. We hadn't signed the dotted line yet. So we decided to go for coffee, and we went in his car. And he says, oh, forgive me. I'm going to have to clean off a little spot, and he took and literally had to carve out a spot for me to sit in. He was a heaper, and there was half-eaten uh, donuts in there, and there was coffee mugs, and there was coffee containers, and there was McDonald wrappers, and he's just pulling it up and pushing it into the back seat, and 
shoving off the Cheerios and everything else that was foreign matter that was there for me to sit down. And we went and had a great cup of coffee. But you know what? Somehow he didn't get hired because of a lack of discipline. Because of a lack of discipline. See, in this case, a lack of self-control brought about a lack of self-respect in terms of this is how you conduct yourself, how will you conduct your, yourself in the work that we want you to do? See, face it, all of us have self-control issues, don't we? Whether it's exercise, whether it's dieting, whether it's just personal disciplines in God's word, what he is saying to us is he wants us to have self-control. And when we have self-control, it brings a whole different level of respect and we all have issues that we work with. I'm going to be revealing to you, I'm going to be transparent about something I work on. I have to work on self-control when it comes to just talking with you. Now, some of you don't know this, but those of you who know me well know that I have a problem. I'm a little ADD. I like see, uh, like a dog, if I see a squirrel, okay, I'm off. And I'm, I'm, I could be talking to you, and all of a sudden, I'm talking to somebody else, and I've just left you in the dust. And so one of the things that I work at is when I'm talking to you, if I'm looking at you bug-eyed, it's not because I'm, I'm weird, okay? Well, you might conclude that. But it's because I'm trying to focus on you because there's all these things going on around, and I'm trying to focus on you. I'm really trying to work at that. But self-control, self-control brings respect. I cannot tell you how many times people have come up roundabout and said, I don't think Pastor Steve likes me. And it's because I wasn't focused on them in a specific situation. Let's move on. Truth number seven. Truth number seven, look in verse four and five. It says, don't let wealth be your focus. Verse four, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it's gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings and flies like an eagle towards heaven. Inherently, each of us want to have financial security. So God's not speaking against that. What God is doing is putting bumpers, guidelines for us in terms of how we pursue that financial security. Because God knows that some of us are workaholics. And I'm a workaholic, I admit that. And God needs to put bumpers in my life as a guideline. Now verse, verse 4 says that we need to discern enough to desist. In other words, know when enough is enough and when to stop. When it's time to spend time with the family. When it's time to have time with the body of Christ to be in community. And if you have no time for community and you have no time for family, then understand that you probably are not operating within the boundaries God wants. See, we can do this. We can stop if our motive is not on money. And here's the thing. Money, it will get a hold of us and it will grab our hearts. Now, from my experience, and I've heard this said before, that money talks. I believe it talks. It says goodbye to me all the time. It says goodbye. 
And that's what it's saying here. It flies off with wings. It will just sprout wings and leave. And God's saying, that's why you don't put your trust in it, because it's fleeting. It will easy come and eat. Well, maybe not easy come, but it will easy go. This is what we're told in Timothy. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. The reason that we work hard is for the glory of God. That's why we do it. We want to work hard to demonstrate the craft that God has given us. We want to work hard in order to provide for our families. But if our focal point gets off of God and onto money, then it changes the kind of influence that we have. And God wants us to have a proper influence in this area. Truth number eight. Too good to be true is just that. Take a look at verse six and eight. Six through eight. Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies. For he is like one who is inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the morsels you have eaten and waste your pleasant words. Now you're saying, what in the world does that mean? See, the scenario here is that the stingy man has invited someone to a meal. Now, I'm going to guess that the dinner guest does not really understand that this man has selfish motives because the appearance is, look, I got a nice spread here. Eat and drink. I want you to have the food. I want you to eat the drink. But it says in the passage that his heart is calculating. When somebody's heart is calculating, they want something from you. This is just a means to an end. 25 years ago, about 25 years ago, my wife and I got this nice advertisement that said that we were guaranteed winners of a new television set and a chance to win a brand new car. Now, you've got to understand, my wife and I were very, very poor 25 years ago. And we could use a new car and definitely a new television. We kind of figured the television was a given because it was right there in black and white. We were going to get a television and possibly win a new car. So it was to go to some uh, place in Ohio that was a new vacation place that was developing. That should have been our first clue. Who vacations in Ohio? (laughs) That should have been the first clue. But we went ahead and we thought, you know, gas is cheap, so it was about a two-hour drive, and so we're driving down to this place, and we pull in, and we see that there's a, a warm reception. We see that there are people that are coming with big old smiles on their faces. There were balloons all over the room. Man, this is going to be a party today. This is going to be awesome. And the first thing they did is give us something to eat. They gave us a snack, gave us something to drink, and I'm like, yeah, now where's my TV? So we sat through the presentation, and after the presentation, we said no, because we had no money at all, and plus we didn't want what they were selling. And all of a sudden, the smiles went away, the tone changed, and we were barely shown the door. And we're like, whoa, 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 where's our TV and our car? They said, go to the prize center. You can pick up your prize there. So we go to the prize center, and lo and behold, we were handed a box. And I said, what's this? They said, it's your TV. 
they gave us a six-inch TV. Literally a six-inch screen. I couldn't see that screen if I was wearing my dad's binoculars. I just, I couldn't see that. No way in the world. The car? No, we just got our name in a drawing and we never heard about that again. Here's the deal. The lesson we learned is this. Any statement that sounds too good to be true really is, and there's usually a stingy man behind it. That's what Proverbs is saying. Truth number nine. Truth number nine says don't waste your breath on a fool. Verse verse nine says this. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the good sense of your words. Now, in this verse, we see that that there is a vital aspect of a foolish person. We can all be foolish at times, but it's saying this person is, he or she does not, she does what, he or she does what they want, regardless of what the instruction is. This is the person that has the idea of what should be done and knows it confidently within themselves. And so what Proverbs is saying is, don't waste your breath on this person. In fact, Proverbs 9, 9, 7, and 8 says, the person who tries to correct this individual, this fool, will have abuse and injury heaped upon them. And he says, don't waste your breath upon them. Now, I'm sure that every one of us can think of an individual that might apply here. And what he's saying is just be silent. And finally, the last truth is this in verse 10 and 11. Don't take advantage of the weak and the vulnerable. He says, don't move an ancient landmark or enter the field of the fatherless, for their redeemer is strong. He will plead their case against you. See, this saying revisits two ideas, the vulnerable and the boundary landmark. And in this case, he is saying there, someone is moving the boundary in order to take advantage of the fatherless, the orphan. We're told in Psalm 68.5 that God is a father to the fatherless and a protector of the widows. We are also told in James 1.27 that we, that, that true faith looks like a person who looks after orphans and widows in their distress. Now I think every one of us would say, yeah, I agree with this, but please understand this. In order to do this, it takes time. It takes resources. It takes commitment. Going back to Abraham, Abraham, the thing that encouraged and motivated me about his life and our team about his life is that he was a social orphan. And yet, since he came to faith in Christ, he moved from being the victim to being the victor, and God used him to reach other social orphans. Also, he had a hunger for God's word, and the rest of his people were hungry for truth. If he was sitting here today, he would be looking at all ten of these saying, these sayings, saying, how do I need to apply this to my life? And that motivates me, and it causes me to ask the question, have I moved past my difficult circumstances to a place where I, be, I am becoming a victor in Christ and a victor in my witness for him? As we close out with this final song, The God of Justice, I want you to think about that. Think about what God wants in your life and how he wants you to be that influence in other people's lives.